Okay, so we're starting a new series this morning called uh, Cultivate, and part of it is, sorry, Emily, I'm going to move this on my way a little bit. You can move this back when you're ready to sing again. Um, but uh, <clears throat> a lot of it is just the practices and the disciplines and the qualifications, the identi- identifying markers of Christians. Um, so we're going through what, what gives us the rich um, ground that God can then work in in our hearts and our lives that can then produce fruit, that can then identify us as um, Christians, that can make us unique to the world. And so we're starting off this series, and this morning we're talking about um, Bible reading, about scripture, which is why I had that video from um, the Bible Project. And for any of you who have um, been Christians for a number of years, you hopefully know that <laughs> reading our Bibles is an extremely important uh, part of our faith. And this is true for most religions. Most religions have some sort of text that they um, center around. But uh, in our faith and, and in the Jewish faith kind of preceding Christianity, the, the text is such an extremely important part of their faith, even to the fact that for the the ancient Israelites, they had um, a much higher literacy rate than a lot of the other ancient world because it was so important to them to be able to read and understand scripture. So a lot of the young boys, sorry girls, the girls weren't allowed to go, um, but a lot of the young boys went to the synagogue and learned their Hebrew alphabet so that they could learn how to read, so that they can learn how to read the Bible. So really, for them, education was centered around religion. The whole purpose of teaching them the alphabet, the whole purpose of teaching them to read was so that they could read scripture. And any other benefits were secondary. The main benefit was so they could read scripture. Um, And obviously, this is all pre-printing press and stuff, so there wasn't a lot of books lying around. Usually, the synagogue would have you know, the scrolls that we see of the Torah and the books of the Old Testament. And so they could go to the synagogue and read um, from the scrolls. Um, But this was such a huge part of um, the Jewish identity. And obviously, when we read the New Testament, um, we see, like, the story of Jesus when he gets up in the synagogue and he he grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he reads um, from it and we obviously know that the disciples of Jesus knew how to read and understand scripture because they were reading and understanding it and writing it themselves. Um, so from the very beginning, reading, understanding, interacting with scripture is um, a core part of the Christian faith. And, um, but one of the things that the video hit on is, you know, this this book isn't um, easy. I'm sure if you've interacted with it <laughs> over your life or over the years, um, it's not the easiest book in the world. There's, there's a lot about it that um, can be uh, hard to understand. There's parts about it that are complex. And I think that the important place to start is that um, there's something beautiful in that. And I love how the video shows that... Um, it's dense, and some parts of it are hard to understand, um, but that's okay. We don't have to beat ourselves up for that. We don't have to, the expectation is not that you sit and understand every single word every single time that you, that you sit and study the scripture, that you sit and have your quiet time, your devotionals. Um, 
That's, that's not the purpose. The purpose is over the course of your life, you're coming back to it over and over and over again. And it is a huge benefit to us that it is dense and thick and rich because as we come back to it, we get more out of it. We get different things out of it. And as we go through our lives, different things are going to pop up to us. So if you're young and you're a student, there's parts of this book that are going to stick out to you. There's stories that are going to um, pique your interest. As you get older, as you become an adult, um, different things stick out to you. Um, as you get married, different things stick out to you. You can read, read Song of Solomon if you want to. Um, and then, obviously, as you become a parent, that's a huge one. As you have children of your own, there's all sorts of things in here that just come to life, things that don't make sense, you know, uh, until you have kids yourself. And then all sorts of things about Scripture start, like a light bulb goes off. Oh, now, now you read the story of the prodigal son from a different lens as the parent. Now you read some of the, the writings and Proverbs from a different lens as a parent, and, and everything kind of takes on a new meaning and gets, gets kind of scary when you think about some of these things for your own children. Um, and, and so the Bible's there with us. As, as we age, as we get older, as we, as we come to different points in our lives, whether we're going through triumphant periods and particularly when we're going through hard periods, I think that that's when um, some of the beauty and um, hope and uh, the full illumination of Scripture really hits us in ways um, that we don't always understand until we're in those hard moments, and it really comes to life for us. So, um, as as we as we approach it, um, one of the things that one of the videos talked about that that, that one didn't it hit on kind of the three sections of Scripture, which uh, a big chunk of its narrative, forty three percent, and then. Also, a big chunk of it is poetry, 33%. So almost half of it's narrative, about a third of it's poetry, and then about 24% of it is like discourse, instruction, a lot of the kind of teachings and law. is only like a quarter of it. Um, so I want to go through some of these differences and then just talk about you know, how we can then approach it, and how we can apply it to our lives. So starting off with just the Bible as instruction, um, how many of you, if I asked you out of the blue to list the Ten Commandments, could do it on the spot? Like how many of you would be willing to come up on stage right now and say the Ten Commandments? Any takers? (laughs) Um, I was actually in, I, I bring that up because uh, in college, I went to a talk, and I think I got extra credit in a religion class to go to this talk. I can't remember for sure. But it was by a guy who was a Muslim cleric or a mom or something. I can't remember his exact title. But he was really interesting because he was formerly a Southern Baptist preacher who had converted to Islam and was now like a, a Muslim cleric, a mom. And he gave his whole talk, and it was, it was interesting. The, the guy clearly had some baggage from his days as a Christian, and he definitely did not fully understand um, the gospel as I would understand it. But one of the things he, he said is he, he gave that challenge. He's like, any of you, he's like, I'm sure many of you here are Christians. Um, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? You could come up here right now and say it. And obviously, it's a bunch of, he's kind of picking on a bunch of shy uh, college students. Um, 
But I remember sitting there and I was thinking like, oh man, could I do that? I'm like trying to run through my head. And I saw some of you kind of like look up and try to run through your head the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and I was too nervous to. I was too nervous to get up on stage and do that. And he made this whole point about, he's like, oh, I've gone all over the country and given all these talks and no one has ever stood up and, and said the Ten Commandments to me. And he kind of tried to make this point about how Christians didn't take their scripture seriously because they couldn't list the Ten Commandments and how, you know, all sorts of Muslims he knew had huge parts of, um, um, why am I blanking on their, on their religious text? The Quran, there you go, man. <laughs> had huge chunks of the Quran memorized. And this was, he was trying to make some point that, whatever. But, <laughs> um, but I think ever since then, I've, I, I remember just feeling just kind of, man, I wish I, wish I, I had just that in the tip of my head that I could just pop up and, and say the Ten Commandments. I'll, so I'll say it for you now. And I, but even now, I have to still think a little bit. It's like, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no idols. Um, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You should honor your father and mother. You should not murder. You should not uh, commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not uh, bear false witness. And you should not covet. So there's ten. Um, but, but even, even to this day, I have to kind of think through it. Um, but why, why I bring up that story is a lot of people, and particularly people who are in other faiths like Islam or something, they think of scripture and they think of law. They think of commands. They think of this is the do's and don'ts, and those, you should know those. You should memorize those. Obviously, as Christians, we understand that there's, there's more to the story than that. We have a relationship with Jesus. We have forgiveness. We have all these things. But the law is still there. The instructions are still there. And God wasn't just wasting his time when he put a lot of that in there. Obviously, a lot of it is still for our benefit, for our lives, to teach us things, to give us some structure and grounding, to give us a foundation so that we don't just go off and do whatever we want, but we have some understanding of the things that please God and the things that don't please God. Um, those are useful to know. So some of those things, I'm sure that many of us, whether we have the Ten Commandments memorized or not, I'm sure that many of us do in our hearts have parts of Scripture either memorized or just kind of a basic understanding of, okay, these are the things that please God, and these are the things that don't please God. Um, and we take that for granted that we kind of know a lot of those things, but we know those things because they're in here, because God has revealed those to us. So it's important for us to, to read those, to know them, to, to have our children read them and teach them to them, um, because they're there. I wanted to read a couple uh, passages, so just Proverbs, obviously, and Proverbs is a little bit tricky, um, you know, just talking about scripture, and I'm going to get to some of this later, but, um, you know, Proverbs we have to hold a little bit lightly, because some of it, it's wisdom literature, and a lot, a lot of it's good teaching, good advice, it is the Bible, it's God's word, but um, certain sections of it, we have to be careful to just apply bluntly, and I'll I'll talk more about that later. But this is, this, this is a good thing that we can pretty apply pretty bluntly. So Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So time out right there. So again, this is, this is why Proverbs is tricky. 
There's people who follow God's commands who don't necessarily have a prolonged life and peace and prosperity. It's more, life's more complicated than that. So sometimes with Proverbs, it gives these broad, sweeping generalizations, and we can't then go and apply this and say, well, you know, this person didn't live a long life, therefore, they must not have been keeping God's commands. Sometimes people apply Proverbs that way. Don't do that. So back to... Proverbs 3. So picking up verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win good favor. You will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now that's stuff that we can just apply all the time. That's beautiful um, instruction. With that, I'm going to read Matthew 7, 24 through 29. This is Jesus. This is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the last things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is everything he's been talking about. This is, you know, do not worry. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Um, this is the Beatitudes. This is his... Uh, giving us the Lord's prayers, all these things he's been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And then here at the end, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose. The wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Um, if you notice, what Jesus is saying here is there's two parts to this. You have to hear his words, and then here's the other part that we don't always focus on. Sometimes, growing up, when I, when I would hear this parable, I would think, okay, the wise man is the one who you know, builds his foundation on Jesus, and the foolish man is the one who doesn't build his foundation on Jesus. But what Jesus says is, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice is the one who built his house on the rock. So to really build your life with a firm foundation, you got to do a couple things here. You have to hear God's word, and reading it, I think, counts as part of hearing it. Um, and then you haven't quite built a firm foundation yet. You're, you're getting closer. You've maybe, like, mixed some of the cement. But to really get the good, firm foundation, you have to then put it into practice. Because the foolish man, he hears it, he hears it, but then he doesn't put it into practice. And that is building your house on sand. So, um, so as, we, as we approach the instructions of the Bible, as we approach when we come to the Bible and we're reading it, and we come to the parts that are giving us some things to do with our lives or not do with our lives, we have a choice to make. We can, li we can read those things, and we can put them into practice, or we can read those things and not put them into practice. Now, obviously, there's then the whole, like, it's more complicated than that because some of the laws and instructions are Old Testament stuff that no longer necessarily applies to us because Jesus came and died, and we, we can now eat bacon, and we can wear clothes with mixed fibers, and we can do some of the things that the, the ancient Jews could not do. 
um, and where exactly that line is, I mean, the kind of the traditional way I think most people describe that is you have kind of three areas of law. You have the law that was very specific to like the ancient Jewish culture, and then you had the law that had to do with kind of how the state of Israel back then had to kind of run and the stuff with the temple and the stuff with the, the Levites and all that stuff. And then you had the law of like godly living. And Jesus kind of took care of those first two, but obviously the law of godly living is still applied to us. So there's still a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament that we can apply because a lot of it still has to do with godly living. And um, we are not uh, free from that just because Jesus died on the cross. Now, there's forgiveness and, and all that. Hear me. But um, still, if we want to be the wise person who builds their house on the rock, Jesus himself says we should put those things into practice. So he doesn't give us some free pass on, on that stuff. So as we approach Scripture, this is, this is a good place to start because there's a, there's a Decent amount. It's, not, it's actually not the majority of Scripture. It's only about a quarter of Scripture has these sorts of laws. But we're going to run into them if we're engaging with Scripture. And Jesus himself tells us we should put these things into practice. So, um, so that's a lot of the instruction. So that leaves us the narrative and the poetry of Scripture. Um, and before we get into those, one of the things I want to address, and this, this has to do with the law, or maybe maybe all of them, but... The tricky thing for us in the United States in 2022 is we bring a lot of baggage when we approach scripture. And some of that baggage is cultural, some of it's misunderstanding because this was written 2,000 years ago. We don't quite understand all the nuance of it. Um, But some of it's stuff in our own lives. Some of us have, many of us, I would say probably most of us, have a story of someone using scripture in a way that was hurtful to us. And that has maybe had implications on how we then approach scripture in our lives. I'm in the process of reading a memoir by Philip Yancey called Where the Light Fell. And um, Philip Yancey is a really good Christian author, one I've kind of discovered a little bit more recently. I mean, I knew his name, but I have more recently discovered how really good his writing is. Um, but his memoir, he talks a lot about just, obviously it's a memoir, he talks about his life and his upbringing, and he was raised in a very kind of fundamentalist background, and his mom had really strict expectations on him and his brother, and he had to kind of process through a lot of that, but one of the things he talks about, and a very core part of his story is that his dad and his mom were set to be missionaries to Africa, and they were uh, support raising, and they were getting ready to go, and then his dad came down with polio, and this was in the 1950s. And his dad was a young man in his 20s, um, healthy, and was stricken with polio. And he ended up in an iron lung, and um, he ultimately ended up dying of uh, the disease. And his mom was left um, a widow with two young kids. And she, part of how she made sense of this tragedy was that her, her two boys, her sons, were the ones that were going to fulfill their father's mission of being missionaries. This is what she had determined. This is what she felt like God had told her. And so from a young age, she told her two sons, God has set you apart as missionaries. Just like the story of Hannah and Samuel, I have um, given you over to the Lord, 
and this is, this is what the Lord has for your lives. And um, at surface glance, maybe that sounds spiritual, maybe that sounds nice, but I think for any of us who have some maturity, you dig into that and you realize the, the danger and the darkness of, of something like that. Something that, that it's using scripture, it's using very um, maybe loving motives. There's probably there's a mixture of motives there. But obviously she loved her, her sons. She was dealing with grief. She was dealing with a tragedy. She was dealing with the loss of her husband, her own dreams of being a missionary. And yet she set this crushing burden on her two sons and they had to deal with this growing up and un- unravel that. And Philip Yancey talks about how, to this day, the story of Hannah and Samuel in the Bible is a painful one for him because um, of, of how that was used as, um, as a hammer for him over and over again. He said when he would be, you know, misbehaving or being naughty, his mom would be like, you know, but you're supposed to be a missionary, but you're supposed to, you know, and just um, use, using scripture incorrectly. Um, so obviously it's an example of, of someone with, with some serious baggage as they approach scripture. And I don't, I don't know if you have anything like that. I don't know if anyone's ever said anything to you, but I would say that there's, for many of us, there's a good chance that's happened. For me, this has absolutely happened. Um, there's absolutely times when people have said things out of, oftentimes out of love, oftentimes maybe out of some, a bit of ignorance, um, but applying scripture in ways that was not helpful and not loving. Um, and so... I'm going to get to how we then, at the end, we're going to talk about applying our scripture reading and how we use it in relationships, how we use it in community, how we use it for other people. Um, so we're going to address that. But, but for now, I'm still talking about how, how this has impacted us personally. So we're going to get to how we can do this well for those around us. But, but kind of backing up, when we approach scripture, we have, to, we have to think through, we have to process through how we have been hurt Um, And sometimes it feels like in that we've been hurt by God. It feels like we've been let down by God, if we're honest, if we're willing to speak bluntly about it. Um, It feels like, even though most of the time, if we really examine it, it's it's people who have let us down. It's people who have hurt us. But sometimes when that's mixed in with Scripture, when it's mixed in with maybe the church, um, it could feel like it was God that let us down. And... um, if, if, you, if you have any of that in your background, if you have any of those, that baggage in one way or another, um, I encourage you to keep pressing into the Bible because the God you find there um, is, is not the God that has, um, that maybe you think has caused the damage or the baggage in your life. Um, it's a much different God. And, um, and so I think that, again, it's so important for us to keep coming back to the Bible over and over again, no matter our life events, no matter what hurts we've gone through, no matter what pain we feel like we felt, I implore you to keep coming back to it because the God we find there gives us hope. He gives us peace. And if certain parts of it are hard for you, um, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I've maybe told a couple of you the story. I haven't ever talked about it here from the pulpit before, but um, I hope it's okay. <laughs> um, but... There was, a, there was a period after um, Clive and Winnie died where I really struggled with Paul because Paul is very black and white. And um, I wasn't ready for black and white. I needed some gray. <laughs> and that's kind of how I'm wired anyways. I'm kind of wired to light gray and not black and white. But man, Paul just felt like, he felt like he was hitting me over the head with stuff I wasn't ready for. Um, 
it felt harsh, and I wasn't, I wasn't in a place to hear harsh. Um, and I felt God give me some allowance. Now, hear me. I'm going to say this carefully. Give me some allowance. I felt like what God said to me is, there's a big book here. There's lots of stuff. I've given you lots of it. Go read something else for a little while. You don't have to read Paul right now. Go read the Psalms. Go read Job. Go read the Gospels. Go read um, some other stuff for a while. You can come back to Paul later. And so I did. I felt it was, man, it was comforting that I felt some freedom to do that. And if you're in a similar place, I hope you can feel that freedom. If, if a part of the Bible is hard for you right now, again, I'm saying this carefully, don't cut it out in forever. But it's a big book. God's given us lots of different areas. We can go hang out in another area for a little while. Now, if you do that, keep trying to tip your toe back into the area that maybe you're ignoring, that maybe you're avoiding. I found that after about a year or so, I could come back to Paul, and it was okay. And I saw some aspects of Paul's writings that I'd never seen before. Um, there's aspects of Paul that are a lot softer, that are a lot, um, especially the, the part that comforted me is you see the accusation given against Paul. Um, oh, I'm blanking where it is now, but I can't remember if it's an act or if it's in one of the books. But, but he, the accusation is thrown against him that he is... Um, somewhat harsher in his writings than he is in person. And I wish I had the verse to back this up. But, um, but it's kind of implied, but if you read between the lines, you get this implication that, that sometimes Paul's writings do seem a bit harsh, but then once he was there in person, he was a lot softer. He was a lot more pastoral. He's a lot more loving. Um, and so I think you see a lot more of Paul's heart in that. Um, and, but if there's, if there's areas where you're struggling with, just, Keep, keep doing something else, but come back to it. What we don't want to do is just cut it out entirely. And some of you may be familiar with the story of um, Thomas Jefferson and the, the Jefferson Bibles, as it's called. He called it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And he um, took a little pen, pen knife and glue, and he cut out, particularly in the Gospels, he wanted to create just kind of like the moral teachings of Jesus. So he cut out all the, I'm just going to read this right here. Um, so, consistent with his naturalistic outlook and intent, most supernatural events are not included in Jefferson's highly edited compilation. Paul K. Konkin states that for the teachings of Jesus, he concentrated on his milder admonitions, like the Sermon on the Mount, and his most memorable parables. What resulted is a Reasonably coherent, but it places oddly truncated biography. If necessary, to exclude the miraculous, Jefferson would cut the text even mid-verse. If a moral lesson was embedded in a miracle, the lesson survived, but he would cut out the miracle all around the lesson. It took some rather careful cutting with scissors and razor, but he managed to maintain Jesus' role as a great moral teacher, but not as a healer or divine. Um... I don't want to dig into the motivations of why Jefferson did this. I can't say exactly Jefferson's motivations. I can't say whether Jefferson was a true Christian or not. That's not my place to say. But I think it's clear that he had a part of the Bible, a part of Scripture that he was more comfortable with, that he liked. This is the part that he valued. And he had some other parts that he struggled with. Maybe he struggled with the miraculous. Maybe he struggled believing it. I don't know. But he had the parts that he liked and the parts that he struggled with, and he chose to just kind of cut those apart and focus on the parts that he liked. And that is what we cannot do. That is a bridge too far. So 
Um, what you have allowance for, I think, and I think I have a permission to give this, is you can focus on some areas that are helpful for you. It's okay if you read the Gospels two, three times more than you read, you know, Lamentations. Like, that's okay. <laughs> um, but if you've never in your Christian life read through Lamentations, that's a problem. At some point, you need to buck up and read Lamentations because there's stuff in there that Jesus has for you. And if you're like me, I like read Job and Lamentations more than I read like some other stuff because I'm like that. Um, but but I, I need to read um, all of it. We all need to read all of it. It's all there for us. But God's wired us differently, and that's okay. So if you like the narratives, like me, like I love the narrative stories. Um, when it comes to the Old Testament, I probably read the narrative stories the most. Um, but I also need to read the full picture of God. So um, again, I encourage all of us. And, and again, we can only do this we can only accomplish this if we are engaging with this on a regular basis because it's a big book. So it takes some time to read through it, to read the different parts of it. Um, so we have to keep coming back to it. Um, the other thing, too, is, and, and again, they talked about this in the video, but we need to um, wrestle with it, read it slowly, and let, let the parts um, illuminate differently for us in different stages. We can't just say, like, oh, I... I've, I've read that before. I know what that says. Um, it, it'll say something new to you as you come back to it over time. Read different translations. There's different translations that illuminate the Bible differently for us. And, um, and those can be helpful. And I, I don't have a preferred. I mean, I think the NIV is really good. The ESV is good. Even the message, I don't know if I would recommend reading the message exclusively, but I think it's okay to read it from time to time um, or maybe in a season to help you understand, to help you relate to the Bible better. Um, I think if it's that or not reading it, I think reading it is the preferred way of doing it. Um, So what's the purpose ultimately of reading it? I I talked about some of the, the law and the instructions, but... The overarching purpose of the Bible is God is telling a story. He's telling a story about himself. He's telling a story about himself and his people and how he wants to have a relationship with his people. And so if we want to be a part of his people, if we want to be a part of that relationship, the Bible is God telling us this story. It's a love story. It's a tragic story. It's... Um, a story between a parent and a child. It's a story between a husband and a wife. It's a story between friends. It's a story between enemies at times. Um, It has drama. It has poetry. It has all these things. And God's given it to us so that we can know the story, so that we can be people of the story, so we can know what God's doing in this world to, to bring hope, to bring restoration, to bring redemption. And our job is to know the story so well that we can place ourselves into it, that it becomes our story. Like, like the video said, it becomes the story of our lives, that we then want to bring redemption. We then want to bring peace to those around us. We want to bring hope and joy. When someone's struggling, when someone's in the hospital, we want to be there for them. And this is why it gets super practical to read our Bibles over and over and over again. Um, because I'm sure, again, many of us have experienced, there's, there's mornings, if we're, Sometimes we can get into the, the quick fix kind of, you know, modern day, 
I want something that's going to give me the, the word of wisdom for the day. It's going to give me the jolt. It's going to give me something to, to get my, my day going right. And scripture can do that sometimes, um, but I don't think that that's its main purpose, and I don't think that's going to do that for you every single day. So there's times where you might read scripture for the morning, and you might think, hmm, okay, okay, God. <laughs> um, maybe it hits you. Maybe it feels super impactful, or maybe it just feels like, okay, all right. Um, keep going. Keep reading. Part of it is not just for that moment, but we're, you're building up the story. You're building up that, that treasure in your heart. You're building up the scripture so that it is slowly changing you and it's slowly making you into the person so that when you then face a trial or when you then have a friend who needs encouraged or when you then have a temptation that you need to resist, God gives us scripture in our time of need. He has it there if we've stored it up. If we haven't stored it up, then it may not be there in our time of need. Um, but if we've stored it up, he will, and I know many of you have these stories and I have these stories, he gives it to us. And every time it's beautiful. I mean, is, is there anything more encouraging than scripture coming to mind when you need it? It is so encouraging. I love it. It is such a good feeling that when you're just, you're, you're feeling down and when you're talking to someone or whatever, and then like, pop, a verse comes to mind or a story comes to mind from the Bible. If you're like me, you may not even know the exact reference. I oftentimes don't know the exact reference, but I'll have scripture come to mind. And it's so powerful when it does that. It's, it's crazy. It's like the superpower that we have that we can bring wisdom to a situation. We can bring comfort to a situation. We can bring hope to a situation. Um, don't you want to bring that? Don't you want to be the kind of person that you can step into a situation and you can have those things at your disposal? We can only have those things at our disposal. We can only have those superpowers if we have it in us. Now, it's not magic. I'm sure there's been, there's been times in my life where I wish I had a scripture come to mind, and it doesn't. Um, but, but we have to trust God with that, too. I, I don't know if I have an answer for that, <laughs> um, except that God's sovereign in all of it. And luckily, we have technology, so we could pull out our you know, phones or our Bibles, and we, if we don't have something that comes to mind, we can start reading. And hopefully, God will bring something to mind or bring something before us. Um, but many, many times, if we're in Scripture, God will use it. Um, just to give you a recent one for me, uh, a story that just kind of hit me in a new way that is very familiar. Um, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. And this is when Peter comes before Jesus. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I just want to pause it for a minute. And again, this is one of those things where if, if we read it fast or if we just know, know it, we know the, Jesus' answer to it, we can miss so much. We have to slow down. And if you slow down for a minute, and, you, and, and so oftentimes we cast Peter as just this bumbling kind of fool who's, who's got it all wrong and Jesus has to, to, to fix what, what his perspective is. But if we slow down for a minute, 
and, and listen to what Peter's saying. Peter's saying up, up to seven times. When was the last time that you forgave someone, like truly forgave someone seven times? Would you say that's a little or a lot of forgiveness? I would say it's a lot of forgiveness. <laughs> I would say most people in this world do not forgive seven times. I think if you went out in the world and you told someone you forgave someone seven times for something, they would call you a fool. They would be amazed that you forgave someone more than once. I think two or three times is probably considered saintly in our world. And so Peter, actually, if we keep that in mind, he's, he's seeming pretty good here. He's willing to go up to seven times, which is pretty impressive. And then Jesus just blows it out of the water and says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And again, it's one of those verses, and maybe this isn't hitting you hard right now in this moment, but I promise you, if you come back to this over and over again, there's going to be a time in your life where you read that and you're just blown away by it. And that happened to me this, this past year. I was just blown away by that 77 times. That means that basically our whole Christian life is just forgiving over and over and over and over and over again. And if that sounds terrible to you, I don't know what to say, because Jesus said that basically we're just going to keep forgiving over and over and over and over and over again. So if you have a problem with that, you have to take it up with Jesus. Um, but that's not, I mean, our world is not comfortable with that. Many of us are not comfortable with that. That has some kind of scary repercussions when we think about it, um, being that kind of forgiving person. And yet that's the standard that Jesus has called us to, um, is that we're going to live a life of forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And I just wanted to bring that up as just an example of, for me, something that, you know, a story I, I, I knew just growing up and have heard a million times, but then sometimes you come before it and it just, man, it hits you over the head with a new significance, with a new weight. Um, and we never know when that's going to happen. God in his sovereignty knows when that's going to happen. Um, and so he then has scripture for us to, to give us these moments of truth when we're ready for it. Because you can't, that's the, that's the crazy thing about the way that we're wired as simple humans. God can't feed us the stuff before we're ready for it. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. He can't, the impact of it doesn't sink home. It has to be when we're ready for it that he gives it to us in that moment. And if he, again, if you read it before you're ready for it, it's not going to have the same weight. So we have to keep coming back to it until we're ready for that word. Um, that's just how we are. We're kind of foolish that way. Um, we're kind of dense, if we're honest, that we just we need it over and over and over again until it finally gets through. Um, and if you feel that way, that's okay. We all feel that way. That's just how we are. <laughs> um, but again, God, he knows that. He works, he works within the confines of our stupidity, and he's okay with that, and he loves us anyway. All right. Um, so I want to I want to just close by doing a few things. One, obviously, just continue to encourage you to just keep coming back to Scripture, keep coming back. If you just wait until you're in a hard place to come to it, there's there's some value in that. That's not a I'm not I'm not going to say I'm not going to tell you don't go to Scripture when you're in a hard place. Obviously, if you're in a hard place, go to Scripture, but. Um, God does so much if we keep coming back to it over and over again. Um, and so that 
in those moments when we need it, it's so much more readily available to us. And we're not just trying to like look around for the, the life raft like when, when we feel like we need it. The other thing is God didn't make us in isolation. He didn't intend for us to just read the Bible and try to find some little nugget to apply to our lives for that day and move on. God has made us in community. God has made us as a church. God has made us as his people. And he's also placed us in this world. And so we need his scripture to do several different things. One of the things we need his scripture for is to be there for one another. His scripture is a way that we can encourage one another. And like we prayed for with Tony in the hospital right now, it's these moments, guys, that scripture means so much. If you don't know what to say, if you don't have wisdom, that's okay. Oftentimes, I don't know what to say. I don't have wisdom. I've been on the receiving end, and many of you have, of being in those hard places, of being in the hospital. I don't expect someone to have the answer for life. I don't expect someone to have some, the mystery of what everything means, some secret little nugget of truth that's going to just like unwrap it all and make sense of everything. We don't have that. We don't. <laughs> that's okay. You can give someone some scripture. You can give someone some hope. You can give someone some peace. You can give someone some, some, some encouragement. That means so much. It means so much, you guys. I encourage you. I implore you. Do that for Tony and Debbie right now in this season. Do that for Jim and Debbie Woods right now in this season. Do that for the people in your lives who need that right now in this season. Um, that's part of what being the church is about, is, is, is using this as a tool for each other. It's why we need it. Also, the world needs this. God's placed us in the world. So... Um, you have friends, you have family, you have coworkers who, who don't know that this is truth, who don't think this is truth, who think this is foolish, um, and that's okay. We can still love them anyways. But um, there's opportunities we have to, to share some of this truth with them. Maybe it could be a little bit of wisdom. Maybe it could be a little bit of encouragement. Maybe it could be a little bit of a, of, um, a perspective that they never heard before. Um, what we don't do is go beating them with a hammer with it because <laughs> um, that's not loving. And, and on, on that note, I do, I do want to kind of come back, and again, I alluded to this before about maybe the, the pain or the baggage we carry in our own lives with Scripture. But let's do what we can to avoid being those people that cause that sort of baggage or hurt in others when it comes to Scripture. And how we can do that is, I think, keeping in mind, I'm just going to read, First, uh, verse, uh, the first Corinthians 13, where it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, and then down, verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. All that we do, we have to do out of love. And um, now love doesn't mean we... And again, those are two our parents and everything. We know this. Love doesn't mean you just tell someone what they want to hear. Sometimes it's okay to tell someone a hard truth. Sometimes it's okay to challenge someone. But you really need to make sure <laughs> that that is coated and soaked in love. So if you feel some fiery desire to go spout some truth to someone, double and triple check your heart that you're doing that because you truly love them, because you really feel like it's the loving thing to do, and you really feel like it's going to 
like be out of a place of relational love. If you, if you feel all of that and you feel like God's really telling you to do that, then yeah, maybe, like there's times that we need to say hard things to each other, especially within the body of Christ. Sometimes we need to call each other a holy fool <laughs> and say, I love you, but, but you're being foolish. Um, and there's times where we can do that. But I would say those are the minority of times. Most of the times, we're going to use this book to give each other encouragement, to give each other hope, to give each other words of love and peace and affirmation. Um, and when we speak to people who are in a place of pain and hurt, we don't have to give them some packaged answers. We just need to tell them that we're there for them, that God is still faithful, that God is still loving. And, um, and then give them some scripture. And, uh, and we can just tell them that we're there. And that's, that's how... Uh, we're going to use this book in a way that, that builds up people and encourages people um, at times and modishes them and challenges them. Um, but none of those things are possible if we don't have that in our own lives as well. So um, I just want to end with Isaiah 55. And uh, Eli and Ben and Emily, you guys can come up here as I close this out with this. And we can close in some worship. I think I had this saved here. Before I do that, um, I just want to recognize Eli here, uh, who was deployed. He came back at the end of last month, end of December, right? Uh, middle of December. Middle of December. Um, and yeah, we're so grateful to have him back. He's been a part of our church for a long time. And I promised him I wouldn't ask him to lead worship like right away because I don't want him to feel like I'm just using him for his gifts. But then this week, I'm like, all right, Eli, I'm sorry, I really need you this week. <laughs> so uh, I'm so grateful that he is willing to use his gifts and lead us this morning, and Ben and Emily as well. And um, we're grateful that he's back and safe and that God protected him during his months um, away. So, yeah, thanks, Eli. Let's just give Eli a little round of applause. <clears throat> thanks for serving, man. All right. Um, I'm going to read Isaiah 55. This is kind of my closing prayer. Um, and admonishment to us uh, as we then enter into a time of, of uh, responding and worship. <clears throat> come, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts.
as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Amen. For you will go out in joy and you will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for the everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen and amen. Let's worship.